I, like, I think whenever I get in the ring, I want it to be the best match possible. And, I, and, and it, the outcome was one of the best celebrity matches ever in WrestleMania history. And welcome back to Out of Character with me, Ryan Satin. I'm so glad that you all enjoyed last week's episode with Rhea Ripley. I know I enjoyed it too. A lot of cool stuff in that episode. But this week, we've got another awesome guest. We've got a former WWE champion. We've got, honestly, he's like a former every champion. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Out of Character, The Miz. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I mean, it's about time to be completely honest with you because I feel like every time something happens in WWE, like you are the person that gets an interview right away. So when I won the WWE championship for the second time, becoming the first ever two-time Grand Slam champion in the history of the company, I was expecting a call saying, hey, Ryan Satin wants a uh, interview with you. But guess who didn't get one? This guy. You know why, though? There's a reason for it. It was because you were already in the uh, midst of all this Bad Bunny stuff, and I wanted to wait until after WrestleMania so that we could talk about all of it because I wanted to get... Couldn't get a twofer, huh? <laughs> I'm not available. I feel like I do more media than anybody. I literally do media days every single day. So I imagine you can do a twofer where you get me not once but twice, but, you know, you said, nah, skip this one. We want him after. We don't want the WWE Championship. <laughs> nah, we want him after the Bad Bunny match. Also, when you were doing that it was because i was in the middle of preparing to launch this show as well and i was like you know what i could get miz for 15 minutes when he's doing the media rounds or i get him after wrestlemania for a good 45 where we could talk about miz and misses we could talk about the wwe championship win we could talk about some of your past stuff so trust me it was intentional but it was because i wanted to have a longer conversation with you and also you know because you mentioned it right there this has been one of the most difficult interviews for me to prepare for because of the fact that you do so many interviews that I'm like, man, like, how do you get something new out of The Miz? You know, like, how do I find something that he hasn't talked about? And it, it is very difficult because you've talked about so much. So where do we start? Well, first, before I get into where we start, I want to ask you one question, you know, and it kind of ties into that. You know, this show is called Out of Character. And, you know, with you... It's tough to figure out how much of your real true self there is in the Miz character because you've been on TV and in our lives for so long, even before WWE. So in your opinion, the character of the Miz on WWE TV, how much of your real true self is there in that character? If you want to see my real like self, then I, I know this is going to sound like a plug, but it's it, it's really not. It's it's the truth. It's probably the only interview I've ever done where I was completely Mike Mizanin from Parma, Ohio, just a kid talking about his career, like WW twenty four The Miz. It was uh, you know it's on it's on Peacock. I'll might as well plug it. But honestly, like that was the first time I sat down and did an interview, and it wasn't splices of the Miz, splices of Mike. Like that's kind of the way I do my interviews. My interviews like. I feel like The Miz is the entertaining, very egotistical, arrogant, snaps back at a person, starts cutting promo on people. It's what people kind of want to see, you know, when they're doing an interview. And then Mike kind of tells you how it is and how it's real. And when you ask when you ask real questions and it's all of the tone of the show and what I'm doing. And for that documentary, I really wanted it to be raw and honest and just me. And if I wasn't good enough in this type of situation, like the documentary, then it's not going to be a good documentary. But luckily, 
people have been really enjoying it and I've been really enjoying it. I've been re enjoying the feedback. Like I, it's been a long time since I've had a hundred percent positivity where not only is it WWE universe, our fans, but it's our, my colleagues, like the locker room, you know, saying, you know, wow, that was really incredible story and you deserve it. And, you know, I respect you and it's, it's, it's been a long time coming, but I'm, I feel like I'm starting to get that and it's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, one theme I noticed from the 24, because I, I loved it too. I thought they did a great job of covering your entire career from beginning to now. And, you know, one theme that I noticed throughout the entire documentary, though, was fighting from beneath, you know, people undervaluing you, people not thinking that you can do something and you kind of having to prove that you can. I felt like every single topic they covered was someone starting with like, I don't believe in you, whether it was your dad saying like, oh, you're dumb and throwing out your report card or whatever, you know, you've kind of always had that. Is it frustrating for you to have accomplished so much in your WWE career? yet still have a portion of the fan base not appreciate it due to your reality background from like 20 years ago? It used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. You know, people are going to say what they want to say. People are going to criticize and critique. Uh, I'll give you a recent example. When I, uh, when I went up against Bad Bunny, when I started going up against Bad Bunny and starting the whole feud, nobody wanted it. Everybody was like, no, no, like, Bad Bunny shouldn't be there. Why is Bad Bunny here? All I saw on Twitter was just negativity. And I was like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. And when we did our match at WrestleMania, there wasn't a neg negativity anymore. We proved them wrong. And then people were like, oh, such a great story, such a great match. Wow, incredible. He really put forth the effort. You know, Bad Bunny did an incredible job. Oh, blah, blah. Like, just applause, applause, applause. Like, nobody, when something first starts, Everyone always has to criticize and be like and negative about it. Be like, ah, oh, this is the worst thing ever. This is horrible. Oh, I can't stand it. And then like three months later, when you see the whole story unravel and you see the match and everything that has happened, people are like, applaud. I love it. Oh my God. Match of the night. Bravo. You know, so it's, it's one of those things where I just now like I use negativity and I use it to fuel my fire to turn it into something positive. What was your initial reaction, though, when you heard Bad Bunny? I know that the other people you said were negative about it. So were you initially positive right out the gate? Hell yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm the first person that anytime a celebrity comes to WWE, I go, bring it on. Because a lot of our fans don't understand what a celebrity brings to our industry. It brings more eyeballs. Like, I got so much more media, and I, granted, I do a lot of media, yes, but I got media that I don't normally get because of Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny is one of the biggest recording artists out there, and to be honest, as much as I gave him a hard time throughout that entire three months, the guy honed in. He locked in, and he put forth the effort, put forth the work, and he you could see at WrestleMania that he did put in the work. This wasn't a one-week I'll get in the ring. I'll try to figure everything out. This guy worked since Royal Rumble and was there each and every week. He would leave to go win a Grammy and do a Grammy performance. And then the next day, he would be back in a WWE ring getting his butt whooped every week to make sure that at WrestleMania, he was ready, well-prepared, well-equipped. And you saw everything happen at WrestleMania. And I think everyone was pleasantly surprised and honestly, I had a blast, especially because there was a live audience and I expected 
to be to be cheered like me. I expected <laughs> to be cheered and him to be booed. And when John Morrison and I came out and did our rap song, by the way, we had no idea that we were singing that rap song that day. <laughs> like we found out that day that like, hey, you're gonna um you're gonna perform. I went, wait, what? <laughs> we're performing this like. Okay, uh, and then I think we rehearsed like three times, and then John and I are in backstage, like just rapping the song, like making sure that we can, and then you don't even know what's gonna happen when the audience is there, when you, you like, we couldn't even hear ourselves because the crowd was so loud. And so it was just, it was fun, it was exciting, and the crowd booed us. And then when Bad Bunny came out, I was expecting booed out the building, because that's what happens with celebrities, but that didn't happen. He got cheered. And that just goes to show you that Twitter was wrong. <laughs> that was my thought the whole entire time because I was one of those people who was defending Bad Bunny being on WWE TV from day one. And when I was in the crowd and I heard the crowd just go insane for Bad Bunny, I had that same thought in my mind of like, man, I knew Twitter was wrong on this one. Bad Bunny has a huge following. I mean, there was one point where on Twitter I talked about my barber and I said, cause I literally, I went to get my hair cut and I mentioned that I cover WWE for a living. And he was like, oh, isn't Bad Bunny working with WWE now? And I was like, yeah, he is. He's like, man, I love Bad Bunny. He started quoting Bad Bunny lyrics at me. He's like, I think I'm gonna watch WrestleMania. So I, I think that uh, I, it's funny to see how angry Twitter was about it and how positive it ended up being for WWE TV and, and just for the WWE in general. It was positive for our TV, but it brought a whole new audience to us. People that might not be WWE fans, are now WWE fans. So it's that that's what that's what bringing in a celebrity does and I don't think our hardcore fans and I think they do understand it, they just don't like it because they want to see their guys. The guys that maybe aren't getting the shot at WrestleMania. They want to see their guys in that spot. And so I understand that Bad Bunny took a spot, but he also gave an opportunity to Damian Priest, who is I think one of their guys and a huge, you know, up and coming star in WWE. The guy's been wrestling for a very long time, but not in WWE. And I always tell people that come to WWE, this isn't like any other place. This is where you need to hone your craft and lock it in. And Damian Priest got a huge notch up, you know, at WrestleMania. And now he's keeping it going. You got to keep that momentum going. You got to ride that wave. That was your most recent pay-per-view match, but I want to rewind to your first time on pay-per-view for WWE because when I was prepping for this, I was looking at like early Miz because I watched the WWE 24. And like I said, I really enjoyed it, uh, but they didn't get too much into your tough enough stuff. But when I watched uh, the Dixie dog fight that you had at Armageddon in 2004, I was just like, I, I got to talk to him about this because I want to know how you felt knowing that your first time on WWE pay-per-view was going to be in a boxing match instead of a wrestling match like you had been training for this entire time. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun. Like, I was scared. I remember doing a promo. Uh, it wasn't really a promo. There was a thing called Bite This on WWE.com at the time, and they were asking us, you know, to build the match. So Daniel gets in there, uh, Daniel Pewter, who I was going up against, got in there and was like, yeah, I'm training with, uh, he made up some, there was some name that he was, a big name that he was training with, teaching him how to box, make sure that he's doing this, that, and everything. I was like, dude, I just bought the box set of Rocky and I'm ready to go. And so uh, we went out there and honestly, I just started throwing haymakers, you know, like that's kind of what you do. And uh, if you listen to the, so I was, 
I was not the fan favorite. Shocking, I know. <laughs> Daniel Pewter was the fan favorite going in. But if you listen to the crowd in the beginning of the match, they were for Pewter, and they were louder for Pewter. But at the end of the match, you could hear that I shifted half of that audience to my side. And so even though he won because it was an audience, uh, audience would be like, yay, we want this guy. You know, I, I we knew Pewter was going to win that match no matter, unless I knocked him out. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so because it was an audience participation, the audience was the judge and the audience already loved Pewter. <laughs> Yeah, even though he rabbit punched you in the back of the head, which seemed a little unfair. That I was like, man, that's not fair. He should have been disqualified for that. Uh, All right, we're in a WWE ring. Cheating's cheating is like a necessity, especially when uh, you're going up against the Miz. True, good point. Well, fast forward a few years, and you're officially debuting in an actual match on SmackDown against Tatanka. And like I said, I was watching some of these matches to prep for this. And man, it looked like Tatanka was going in on you during that match. Those chops looked intense. Was it was it kind of crazy that your you know, that your SmackDown debut was against such a legendary wrestler like Tatanka? Like, were you tripped out going to it? I, 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 and, and you say like he was that those weren't in. There was the same same chops as he gives everyone, you know. But uh, you know, I'm a new guy coming in. My first match is against Tatanka, and I remember as a kid you know, doing the Tatanka dance, like, around, you know, giving chops and, like, you know. So it was pretty incredible to have my debut match against him. And, uh, honestly, he was a true professional. And, you know, I, I won that match, and I went on, like, a winning spree for, like, three months. And, boy, did everyone hate that. And it was fantastic. Yeah, you were, like, hitting up all the Attitude Era uh, stars. Like, you had Scotty Tuhati you were beating, and Matt Hardy and, and all those people. Uh, yeah, it's funny to look back on that time in your career to see you in the shorts doing the whole hoorah thing because you've you've tra you know you've you've grown so much as a performer in that time and become like you know you've gone from frat boy to such a professional you know uh package on tv that it was almost like jarring to see that version of you again i was like man i forgot about this whole version of the miz when you watched that match though back then w was it Hard for you to hear JBL just roasting you the whole time on commentary because he said some mean things about you. No, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he was such a bully. Like, I was like, no, like, he, he's the color commentator. He doesn't like me. And guess what? This, this is someone, it, I'm either supposed to be liked or disliked. And if I'm, in, in, but if I'm nothing, if I'm, in, if I'm in between and nobody cares, he cared. He cared so much that he couldn't stand me and had to be and vocalize about it. And by the way, this is a legendary JBL, one of the longest reigning WWE champions, talking about how much he hates me. As long as he's saying he hates or loves me, I'm all good with that. As long as the audience are, is saying I can't stand him or I love him, that's fine with me. If there is no one having any opinion of me, that's when there's something wrong. So, you know, in your 24, you, it, was, it was kind of referenced a bunch. There was a time period where you were rubbing people the wrong way in the locker room, and then you got kicked out of the locker room, and then Undertaker lets you back in. And when I was watching this, something I was wondering was, if somebody walked into the WWE locker room today, if there was a talent that started just like you were, with the same attitude, doing the same things that you were doing back then, how do you think today's locker room would feel about that? It wouldn't happen. Uh, I think uh, I think today's locker room, it's just evolved into a different, I mean, WWE has evolved into a different company, you know, than, than it has been in the past. I think the 
the the things that the veterans uh you know used to do don't happen anymore it really does and it's nothing that that was the right way or this was the wrong way or you know you just evolve and you live and you learn and i think now if someone stepped into the locker room i think a person would take them aside and and talk to them and that's what i would do at least and i would just basically tell them the error in their ways because honestly when you come to wwe and you come to raw and you come to smackdown you really do think like in my mind you, it's not that i thought that i knew everything like i wanted to be a sponge i wanted to learn but i was also very confident in who i was and you always think you're ready. You always do. Like, it's just, I'm ready to be in prime time, main event. Like, I want to be going up against, you know, at the time, it's like John Cena, this guy, you know, Randy Orton. You want all the, the top-notch superstars. And you feel like you're ready. But then when you get there, you realize you're not really ready. Like, now, looking back at it as a 40-year-old Miz, a person that's been there for 16 years, I know that I wasn't ready and that I needed time to develop my brain and my work in the ring and outside the ring and in promos and even my look, my character, everything needed to be fine-tuned into what it is today. And it takes time. And a lot of people don't want to wait for that time. People are like, no, I want it right now. It should be happening. And sometimes the fans are like, no, he should have it right now. And in my head, I'm going, no, he's, he's almost there, but he'll get there in time but you got to give them a couple years. Do you think that confidence factor, though, is what separates someone who's going to become a star from someone who might not become a star, though? I think it's when a person walks into a room and there's just an aura about them. And it's like when you walk into a club and, and, and the person walks by and everyone's staring at them. Like, that's what a, a that's the it factor. That's, that's what it is. Like, that's being a WWE superstar. When you walk into a room, do people take notice? Like, whoa, who's that? And uh, I think sometimes people, it takes time in order to get there and to figure it out. It just, some, just doesn't happen. I mean, some people it does. For me, it didn't. It takes time to work it out. Yeah, well, someone who I think helped you kind of work it out was John Morrison. How important do you think it was being paired with John Morrison the first time when Very you did? Very important. One of the most important things that uh, I think happened in my career is being tagged with John Morrison because John Morrison taught me what it takes to, uh, you know, be like he was just so different and so amazing at everything he did. When you look at like your team now compared to then, how do you think the two of you have grown as uh, performers? Oh my gosh! Uh, I think that uh, we're smarter, uh, but our, 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 you know, what's funny. Like I still look at our drive, and it's still the same as it was, if not more, now than it was before. Like you got to remember when John Morrison and I started tagging. You know, John and I were kind of just there, like having good matches, but nobody knew who our characters were. And that's why we created a show called The Dirt Sheet. I remember going to Stephanie McMahon and, and talking to her and John and I pitching this idea where we will edit, we will act, we will star, we will, we will, we will do whatever it takes, we will write it, we will, do every, we will do everything that it takes to make this show a success. And she said, all right, try it. So literally we went there. This is before YouTube was even a thing. And we put a YouTube show out there called The Dirt Sheet where people can understand our characters. Now we're doing raps. We're doing, uh, you know, trailers, mock trailers. So we're doing these things that these aren't asked upon us. 
We're just, we're literally going, we want to do this. Let us do this. Can we do this? Can we do that? We're always, our brains are always working, always going to drive to make sure that we are giving uh, everything we possibly can to be the biggest stars we possibly can in WWE. Yeah, I mean, I always feel like you guys don't get enough credit for being one of those early influencers when it came to doing stuff on the internet. I feel like, you know, you guys should be held in that same conversation as like Zack Ryder and, and, you know, Colt Cabana and some of the other people who kind of helped, uh, you know, the digital space grow with podcasting or YouTubing or whatever. Um, you were first. What? We were the first. Yeah, no, I know. We were the first ones to actually have a show on YouTube for WWE and kind of started the whole kind of shebang. And uh, that's kind of, that, that's that's really like really cool to us. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, does it surprise you that there, that there isn't more talent in today's era that does stuff like that, that is just self-starting things when the internet is so prevalent now? Yeah, I think, but I also think it's, it's one of those things situations where you have to find uh the thing that's right for you you know now there's so many avenues you can take it's not just youtube there's instagram TikTok. you know all these different platforms and avenues podcasts you know that you can help you get your character over with an audience so they know exactly who you are and some people actually do try to do these things and sometimes they work sometimes they don't but I always tell new people that are kind of like, why am I not on TV? What do I have to do to get on this television show? And sometimes I just tell them, look, start going to digital and start asking them questions like what you can do. Because if you're not on TV, maybe you can start something off of TV that gets on TV. I remember, you know, Wade Barrett starting Bad News Barrett on, uh, on, on, on digital. Yep. And nobody knew what bad news Barrett was, but he just started doing, oh, I've got some bad news. And this is, this is timely, by the way, but this is something that he did. And honestly, I thought it got over so much in WWE. And I wish that character would have got, shined through even more. But that is something that Barrett wasn't doing much on TV. And then all of a sudden, you know, he started doing this thing on digital that was called bad news Barrett and I've got some bad news. And everyone started taking to it. Everyone started liking it. And they started putting him on TV. Yeah, wasn't it? Was it the JBL and Cole show where he started doing the Bad News Barrett thing? Like, didn't they have like a digital show where they were doing weird sketches and stuff? It, yeah, it definitely could have been the JBL and Cole show. 100% might have been. You know, I'm sure you've enjoyed teaming with John since he's come back. Um, but would you like to see him get his own singles run in 2021? I feel like, you know, you guys have been doing your tag thing since he came back. But I still feel like he has a lot to give in the singles division as well. Oh, my God. He has so much to give. And, I, you know, we keep talking about this, you know, as, as even as a tag team, as best friends. You know, we look at it and go, how can we get there? You know, how, how do we get there? And it, sometimes it just takes time and the right momentum. And if you push it too far, then it goes the opposite direction. So it's about timing and finding that right timing. And some people are like, well, he's only doing this. He's only doing that. Let me tell you something. John Morrison will be in the main event scene. I guarantee it. He has the talent, the mic skills, the in-ring skills, the character, he has everything it takes to be a main event caliber player in the WWE. It's just finding that wave and then riding it. And to be honest, he's already there. It's just waiting for that opportunity to arise where it's like, ooh, now we're in it. Yep, I feel the exact same way. 
Another person who was, I think, very important to the growth of your career was John Cena. Uh, what are some of the most important lessons that you learned from working with him? So I, I tell the story in the in my 2024 20, WWE 24 doc that you know. I, I went with John Cena. Uh, I, I started, like I got drafted to Raw. John Morrison and I split up for the first time. And you know, sometimes when you go to Raw or you get drafted and you're in a tag team, you're put immediately kind of in the middle or not even on TV or they're trying to find something for you. Right away, my first week, I was going after John Cena, but John Cena wasn't gonna be on TV for eight weeks. <laughs> so I had eight weeks to say anything and everything I possibly wanted. And Cena approved of all this and was like, absolutely, say whatever you want about me. And that's the cool thing about John Cena. John Cena always tells you to bring whatever you got. He doesn't care because he's going to come back and give you the same exact amount. So he expects to take whatever he's going to give. So give whatever you got. So for eight weeks, I remember I was challenging him for a match. And I'd be like, all right, Cena, come on. I challenge you right now. And then he, would, he wouldn't come out. So I'd go one to nothing, two to nothing, three to nothing. It was like eight to nothing. And then we went on to this pay-per-view, right? And literally John Cena mopped the floor with me, swept me. I don't even think I got any offense in. And I, I walked backstage and I'll never forget. I was like, I'm doomed. Like, I just, I just got, I just got, I don't know. I, I don't want to say jobbed out. But yeah, I mean, like literally like I, I got taken, I got taken out real quick yeah. and, he, and i remember Arn anderson goes kid you haven't been through the wars you haven't been through the battles to be at a john cena level and in my mind i was like well yeah i've been through this and this and then now i understand i didn't go through those stories those big storyline arcs that really get you to that main event caliber understanding how to get an audience into you and then not only that to be on live events with john cena for the next year Learning from him and Randy Orton. I didn't. I actually said Randy Orton too, but they didn't put it in the uh, 24. But Randy Orton taught me a lot as well. Being on the road with those two at that particular time was so valuable to my career in listening to a crowd, understanding how to when a crowd is not there to get the crowd, and figuring it all out. Like they were. They were so hands-on. And they, I remember having John in a hold, and he's like, listen to him. Wait, listen, listen. Do you hear him? Now. Why do you do it now? Because they're here. And now you got to bring them down. Now we bring them up. And it's a roller coaster in that, in that ring. And John Cena and Randy Orton are the two best at understanding how to get a crowd and how to keep a crowd. And learning from them in the ring was so invaluable. I mean, it was incredible that year for me and then going through those battles going through those wars learning from all the all the veterans you know teaching me and then becoming wwe champion going on to main event wrestlemania i mean it was pretty incredible year for me but i understood that when i got swept out of the building from cena i thought i knew everything i didn't you know you talk about that 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 arc and then eventually get into main event wrestlemania uh that was where the rock versus john cena basically started to lead to the big match down the line and then you got to be in that tag match at survivor series with the rock and john cena where it was his first match back in years uh, what did it mean for you to be in the middle of rock versus cena when you know you're you know cena's the top guy at the time and the rock is your straight up idol from when you were a kid like what did that mean for you at the time like that had to have been a lot of pressure 
uh, pressure, but I think it was more exciting for me. Uh, I was just, I, I couldn't believe, you know, that I was there. Like you work so hard to get there. And then when you're there, you're like, wait, how did I get here? Like, <laughs> how did this even happen? Like, it's not supposed to happen to me. This isn't supposed to, I'm just a kid from Parma, Ohio. I'm 200 and nothing pounds and six foot nothing. Uh, I never believed, I mean, when I was a kid, you never believed growing up that you could be a six, seven, 300 pound monster, like all your heroes and idols are. And then all of a sudden here you are with the WWE championship at the main event of WrestleMania, The Rock is gonna come out and help you beat John Cena. And then here's your 10 friends that are in your living room watching back in 2000, The Rock versus Austin with the same title you have on your shoulder and they're all cheering for you front row. It's just surreal. And you kind of, you need to like, sometimes I tell people like, make sure you, you take a breath and just look around and realize where you're at. Because I think we forget, we do because you know, you're so involved in it and you wanna do your best and you're so in your mind on, okay, how do I do this? All right, the crowd is here. All right, what do I have to do if the crowd gets here or here or here? You're thinking about all these different things that you forget that this is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy it. And I always have done that since my first match. I've always made sure that no matter how focused I am, where I am to make sure I remember the kid watching when I was six years old, you know, Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, like my heroes, it, you know, now you're that guy and you get to sit there and look and see a kid out there looking at you like that. And it's like, wow, it just touches you right there. Yeah, it's, it's crazy for me how fast time flies too and just how, you know, you, you, you're at one point in your career and then all of a sudden, you're, uh, you know, someone who's a veteran in the company like you are now. Like, it's, it's crazy to me, you know, I used to work at TMZ, and uh, it's crazy to I me. Remember, I remember, I hosted a show, I, I hosted TMZ when you were there. You, you did? Were, you were like, they were like, hey, wrestling guy. <laughs> Everyone always, like, made fun of you for being the wrestling guy. Now look at you. <laughs> That's totally what I was going to say, so I'm glad that you beat me to it because I, yeah, I took a picture with you back then, and it's crazy for me to see us and like you know i was like the wrestling guy that everyone made fun of back then and now i'm here with my own digital show at fox sports getting to talk to you about these past 15 years so i i totally understand the need to like stop and take a look around every once in a while and just kind of like be like hey this is this is pretty cool you know so yeah i i totally understand that but were you like were you nervous <laughs> there we go look at, hair, by the way. <laughs> look at that hair i missed that hair i i definitely missed that hair uh but you know wrestling the rock though had to like like i know you were excited but were you nervous i mean he was he was going to be in the main event of wrestlemania coming up were you nervous the fact that you were gonna have to wrestle against him in his first match in like seven years Every match I'm nervous, every single match. I'm in the gorilla position, which for anyone that doesn't know, is the position before we are about to go out into the ramp. It's right where that area. Whenever I'm there, I've got knots in my throat. I have butterflies in my stomach. Sometimes I feel like I'm gonna faint, but man, I'll tell you what, whenever my music hits, it all goes away. It turns into adrenaline, it turns into something. Whenever you hear that audience, ah, oh, there is nothing quite like hearing that audience. And man, do I miss a live audience right now. Oh, man. Being at WrestleMania in the crowd, dude, it was 
It was so good. I just, I, I got like emotional being in the crowd again because it just, it felt so nice just getting to be around fellow wrestling fans, booing for you, cheering for people. Like it was just so fun getting to be part of it again. Uh, okay, well, I, as much as I enjoy talking about your career, we are here to talk about Miz and Mrs. as well. So I want to talk about that show as well. Do you enjoy getting to share your life with the world more on Miz and Mrs.? Or is it weird having cameras around in your house? Dude, I was on The Real World back in 2001. <laughs> My entire life, I feel like, has been one big reality show. And to be honest, to be executive producer of my own reality show and to do it the way we want to do it, which is entertaining, give people an inside look on what it is like to not only be a WWE superstar, uh, my wife and I, WWE superstars, but to also be a father, a mother, to two beautiful little girls, our three-year-old Monroe and our one-year-old Madison, and to show that, like, look, like, as much as we are WWE superstars, we go through exactly what everybody else goes through. You know, my dad is an absolute nutcase. The only time he actually wants to come over to my house and see his granddaughters is whenever uh, we're filming. Uh, I'll be like, hey, Dad, you want to come over for Thanksgiving? Nah. Are you filming? Nah, I don't want to if you're not filming. But if you are filming, then I'll come. So <laughs> our, our parents are heavily involved with the show. It brings our entire family together. And honestly, it's laugh out loud comedy. I put it up there with Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Office. If you like those shows, you'll definitely love Ms. and Mrs. And I know what you're thinking. Well, you just put your show up against the greatest comedies ever. Yeah. That's how confident I am in this show and that if you watch just one episode, you will be hooked. Well, I was catching up on this season and I watched the vasectomy episode last night, which seemed like a pretty big decision. Uh, have you officially gone through with that yet or is that later in the season and you You're can't- You're gonna have to keep on watching <laughs> on that. This is a, an ongoing story okay. throughout these next couple episodes of Ms. and Mrs. that you can see on USA Network, 11, 10 Central on uh, USA, obviously, uh, right after Monday Night Raw. But yeah, man, I'll tell you what, like, this was a huge decision for both of us. Like we, we looked at our family and I have two healthy, beautiful little girls and I wanna be able to be attentive to both of them. And I see that sometimes like they get jealous of each other, that dada, it's like dada, dada. And then I'll be holding Madison and then Monroe will be like dada, dada. And I'm like, oh my God, two? If there's three, I I'm not gonna be able to hold another one so you know we looked at our, our our lives and the way we are and what we want because we still have goals you know as parents and as 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 a person that loves to work i want to be able to do my job to the best of my ability but i also want to be able to be the best dad and husband and my wife said the same thing she wants to do her job the best she possibly can and be the best wife and mother she possibly can so we both looked at that and said are we done and if we are done, who gets it done, you know? And so we're going through that right now. So through the next couple episodes, you'll see actually what happens. And uh, it's kind of, you, you'll just have to wait and see. I, mean, I, I will say this, you will laugh. Okay. You will laugh very, very hard. Okay, good. Well, she does make a valid point. When I was watching the episode, I was thinking like, that's a good point. I mean, she did kind of go through right. a lot already. <laughs> yeah. I know. How can I, how can I disagree with that? Like, she's like, look, I've, I've had my cut stomach cut open twice for these two kids in the past three years. My body has been just taking a toll. Can you do one little thing? And I'm just like, well, and in my head, I'm going, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's not really a little thing, babe. And she's like, 
It's not. <laughs> I my dad got it done too, but it was it was much later down the line, and his was more like I can't pay for another one of these. Like I'm just I can't deal with that. So uh, I told expensive. <laughs> the kids are very expensive. One question before we switch away from Ms. and Mrs. If the cast of Ms. and Mrs., like the main characters of your show, had to wrestle against the cast of Total Divas, who do you think would win? Oh, my gosh. Honestly, I just want to see my dad in a WWE ring again and just put up his dukes like he did at WrestleMania against Shane McMahon because, honestly, he still talks about that to this day, and I would love to just see him get beat up by Natalia and get beat so I can literally just tell him that he got beat you know, because I just wanted someone to beat him, just beat him. So I can stop getting a, a call every Monday telling me that I need to start doing flips and turns. Like, you know, you got to be like Kofi or, or Ricochet. You see these guys, see these moves they do. It's absolutely incredible. It's like, you know, dad, I get it. I get it. But, and he's like, and you know, at least, at least you should listen to me because, you know, I was in the ring for two minutes and became a meme and, you know, trended worldwide. Everybody was talking about me. Nobody even cared about your suplex from, 15 stories high. No one even cared about that. Everyone cared about me and my poses. When I was fighting, I was like, God, I wish someone could just beat you. <laughs> I like how if that match happens, you're just going to drop off the apron and be like, you're on your own, George. <laughs> 100%. My, our entire family will do that just to shut them up. <laughs> so this year you cashed in your money in the bank contract and became WWE champion again. How did winning the title this time compare to when you won it 10 years ago? Well, it, I've always wanted it again because I didn't want to be, and I know this doesn't sound that way, but I didn't want to be a one-trick pony. I didn't want to have one title reign, you know, and it was just through a money in the bank. Like, I wanted to do it again. And I think as a WWE superstar, you always want to be that guy. You always want to be, no matter how long you have it, whether it's a month, a week, a day, an hour, a minute, it doesn't matter. If you win the WWE Championship, you are that guy for that particular amount of time, and it is your job to showcase the prestige and honor that everyone before you did that. So my job as WWE Champion at that moment was to be the biggest mouth and say I could whoop everybody's butt, and then when the time came, I've, I'm hurting. I can't do it. And uh, honestly, I think we created uh, a, a, like a, a moment of magic. And I had, I think, two Monday Night Raws and with, with the WWE Championship. And I think we made Bobby an incredible monster, which he is. And I think a, a talent like Bobby Lashley deserved to be WWE Champion at that time. And uh, I was just proud that when uh, he covered one, two, three, and the lights went out and the show was over. We had a lumberjack match and all of our fellow WWE superstars were around. You could just hear an eruption of applause, not just from the WWE superstars, but from the production crew as well, because we all knew that Bobby deserved to be WWE champion. And uh, it was a great moment for everyone, in my opinion. I also think that you didn't get enough credit in all that for how much you, <laughs> I think, you know, because you're so good at getting the fans to be uh, against you, that you almost turned Bobby Lashley face in the process because everyone was so happy that he was winning the title and taking it from you after those two weeks that I feel like that's an effective job right there. 
Yeah, I mean, th th that was, I mean, if you think about the WWE Championship and the champions that held it, Drew McIntyre is unstoppable. I mean, he held that WWE Championship without fans for an entire year and have kept the ratings going and kept the show entertaining. I mean, that is a difficult job to do, and he's been strong. You know, Bobby Lashley, strong. Roman Reigns, strong. So when I get the title, I always tell, like, uh, I always say to, to creative or to Vince, I go, I want to be the champion that at any given moment he can be beat by anybody. And if you remember my first WWE Championship reign, I had a match against Jerry Lawler on his, like, 60th birthday. And everyone in Philadelphia, by the way, a, a, this is, like, where the mecca of fans are, the uber fans are. We had them believing that Jerry the King Lawler was going to beat The Miz for the WWE Championship and go on to WrestleMania. <laughs> like, that's how much we had them in our hands. And that's the type of champion I love to be. I love to be the champion that that any given, every, any given opportunity, you think I'm going to lose that title. But then if I win it, it's like, oh, come on. And then the next week, you're like, you know, if I win it again, ah, oh, come on. So you always leave them wanting more. And uh, that's just the champion I love being. I think I do that role very, very well. So I like to end all my first time interviews talking with my guest about their finishing move. For you, that's obviously the skull crushing finale. So first tell me, what's the most memorable skull crushing finale you ever delivered? Gosh. Oh, I mean, it would have to be well, Randy Orton. Uh, Randy Orton, WWE Championship for the first time. Angry Miz Girl. Uh, that one, definitely, because there was a ton of emotions. I was thinking that, you know, I was thinking that it was going to switch during the match. Uh, and uh, it didn't, thankfully. And when I hit the Skull Crush finale, one, two, three on Randy Orton for that first time. And hearing the crowd's reaction, seeing Angry Miz Girl, it... I, I couldn't believe it. It was there was so many emotions running through me. So definitely that was my most memorable. Second, who's your favorite person to hit the move on? Oh, I love hitting it on any of my friends. <laughs> like uh, you know, uh, Dolph Ziggler is always a good one to hit it on. Uh, you know, and then pin him. Uh, I love hitting it on Kofi. Uh, anyone that anyone that I'm really good friends with, I love hitting it on and just rubbing in their face when I'm pinning him one, two, three. <laughs> and lastly, what's one time you did the skull crushing finale that you wish you could take back for whatever reason? Oh, I don't think I would ever take back a skull crush finale hit uh, because whenever I hit it, I usually pin a guy one, two, three, and I very rarely win nowadays. So, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That's the best answer. All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, Miz. I really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you for this time. Hey, thank you very much. And by the way, congratulations on everything, man. You know, going from TMZ, and I remember walking in as, as the host, and everyone's like, hey, why don't you talk to Ryan? He's our wrestling guy. <laughs> <laughs>
and seeing where you've taken it and how you conduct your interviews, how knowledgeable you are. And I think a lot of people look to you for honest answers and an honest advice for WWE as well as all of wrestling. So you've done a tremendous job. So congratulations to you on all your success. And I hope it, it creates even more doors for you. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you saying, I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot to me. I got a little choked up there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Absolutely, man. Absolutely, bud. All right, have a good Thank one. Thank you so much. Yep. All right, bye. Make sure you guys watch Miz and Mrs. on USA Network. Great show. Love chatting with Miz. I, hearing him say that at the end, like I said, gave me goosebumps. Not really sure what else to say after that. Super nice of him to say. Make sure that you guys go subscribe to Add a Character on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, make sure you follow WWE on Fox on all social media platforms. YouTube as well. That's where you can find the video of this show every week if you're only listening to the podcast version. Okay, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character. For the best stories, easy-to-find scores, and comprehensive team pages, plus access to every live Fox Sports game and exclusive bonus cameras, download the all-new Fox Sports app now.